Thank you, Michael. I'm going to miss Michael and certainly pray for Michael and our other recent high school graduates and really all of our college students as they uh, get ready to, to begin another semester of college. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, in recent times, we have often witnessed the prosperity of those who live as if God does not exist or as if his word is not true. For example... The pornography industry continues to be a multi-billion dollar per year industry. Popular approval and even vocal support of homosexual practice has suddenly become the norm and is often the position of those in leadership positions in our day. Again, we often hear of And read about successful business leaders and politicians who uh, have engaged themselves in money laundering and other financial scams. And as a church, as the people of God, we desire for God to carry out his justice in this world. We desire for God to act and to, to set things right again. And because we believe that the Bible is true and we believe that God is indeed who he says he is, we believe that God will do just that, that he will carry out his justice. We saw in our passage last week at the end of Malachi chapter 3 that the people of God were crying out in that day saying, where is the God of justice? Is it even worthwhile to serve this God? And God's response at the end of chapter 3 was that he will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. This morning we will see from God's word that we must spiritually prepare for the day when God will destroy the wicked and deliver the righteous. Because we believe this to be true, that God is a God of justice, that will act in a way that's consistent with who he is, that he will return someday and and carry out his justice in the world, we eagerly wait for that day. But we don't just passively wait like an athlete that's sitting on the sidelines knowing that he will never get in the game. We spiritually prepare for that day. We spiritually prepare for his arrival, the great day of the Lord when Jesus Christ will return. We must spiritually prepare for the day when God will carry out His justice, destroying the wicked and delivering the righteous. Look with me now at Malachi chapter 4 this morning. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, as we conclude our series this summer through the Old Testament book of Malachi, looking at what biblical worship is. Malachi chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. 
But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now this passage, this final passage in Malachi, easily divides into two subsections, verses 1 through 3 and verses 4 through 6. And really verses 1 through 3 is a conclusion to the previous passage, to what we looked at last week at the end of chapter 3. Because we saw in chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, that God says, I will act, I will make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. I will have you as my people, as my treasured possession. And you will be my people, and I will be your God. So be patient and wait for me to do just that, essentially is what God was saying. But verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4 describe how that distinction is going to be made. What that distinction will look like. And it's not popular today. To believe in intolerance, we live in a day, in a society, in a time where tolerance, especially as it relates to personal beliefs and even personal actions, is proclaimed in every area. Not only as it relates to people, but even as it relates to a God or God himself. But look at the picture found in chapter 4, verse 1. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. We see in verse 1 that the wicked will be destroyed. The wicked will be destroyed. Look at the language. Surely... The day is coming. The day that is coming will set them on fire. This language communicates certainty and totality. In other words, God's word is saying that this will happen. There will come a day, the day of the Lord, the day that that Christ returns, on which the wicked will be destroyed. And that day is described as a furnace. It will burn like a furnace or an oven. And this is not describing the day itself. The day itself will not burn, but, but the wicked will burn like a furnace. They will be destroyed. And this image of a furnace or an oven communicates that, that it will be confined for a particular purpose. It will be intense. It will be consuming. And it will be for the wicked. And who is going to experience this judgment, this destruction on that day? And the, the passage is clear that the arrogant and the evildoers, the arrogant and the evildoers will experience God's destruction, God's judgment on that day when he returns. And arrogant implies that these are people that are self-sufficient. They have a self-sufficient attitude as if they have no need of God. They don't live as if God exists because they don't need God. And the result of their arrogance is their evil actions. 
their evil deeds. They live ungodly lives. They live wicked lives that is the fruit of their arrogance. And because of this, they are described as stubble. Just as what's left in a field after a harvest is useless. God's word right here is saying that the wicked will burn and be useless to God. They will be like stubble. And consistent with this theme of destruction, not a root or a branch will be left to them. So just like a tree that is totally destroyed is destroyed from root to branches, the wicked will be wiped out on the day that Christ returns. God will judge the wicked. This is what the Bible teaches. And the flip side of that is his word teaches that he will spare the righteous. That he will spare the righteous. Look at verses 2 and 3. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. We see in verses 2 and 3 that true believers will celebrate God's deliverance. True believers will celebrate God's deliverance. So the wicked will be destroyed at the return of Christ, the day of judgment. But true believers will rejoice. They will celebrate God's great deliverance. And these are the ones that, unlike the wicked, revere God's name. Notice this sharp contrast in verse 2, signaled by the word but. The wicked will be destroyed, but, but for you who revere my name, God says, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. That's a beautiful picture. Comparing The Son of God, S-O-N, to the rising sun, S-U-N. And just as the sun rises each day and drives out darkness, the darkness of night, the Son of God will rise and drive out injustice and evil and oppression. He will do this because He is the light of the world. John chapter 8 verse 12, and his light, his righteousness will be known throughout the world as he eliminates evil and sin and oppression and restores righteousness to the earth and to people of God. And I love this picture in verse 2 of how the righteous, of how the people of God are going to respond on that day. Look at what it says in verse 2. You will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I don't think it takes a farmer to understand this picture. When an animal has been cooped up, has been in a pen for an extended period of time, when they're released, they have room to run and frolic and to enjoy space. And so that's the picture here that God says, this is what an animal does. This is what a calf does when it's released from a pen. And this is what the people of God will do. This is what they will act like on that day when they are released from bondage and oppression and sin and the effects of these things. I can remember as a young child, my family had a black Labrador retriever named Beauregard. And I can remember... 
even though we had a pretty good size, my parents had a pretty good size fenced-in backyard, at the very end of that yard was a smaller pen. And for some reason, at night, they kept Beauregard in that smaller pen at the end of the yard. And I used to love it when I had the opportunity some mornings to be the one that was going to go let Beauregard out of the pen. Because he always seemed so excited to see me. And you know dogs, whether or not you have one now, you've probably had one at some point in your life. And on those mornings, it wasn't like that, you know, kind of casual tail wag that uh, a dog is curious, hey, maybe something good's going to happen here. I don't know. This was like a whole hind quarter shaking tail wag. He was excited. He was jumping up on the fence, wanting out. And in hindsight, as I've looked back and and thought about that, it really wasn't me that he was very excited to see. Now at the time as a child, I thought it was. I thought by going and doing this, he would like me more. And I love, you know, the affirmation that this dog indeed liked me. But when I opened the gate, he didn't jump up on me as if he was really excited to see me. I opened the gate, he zipped by me straight through that yard, joyfully experiencing his territory and the freedom that comes with that again. And this is the picture in God's word right here in Malachi chapter 4 of the way that the righteous, the people of God will act and will think And will worship on the day when they experience the deliverance of God. And this doesn't make a lot of sense to us unless we recognize what it is we are delivered from. Because the reality is that all God's people, that all people to have ever lived or to ever live today or that ever will live, deserve the same destruction that the wicked will experience. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you and I and every other person to ever live deserves the judgment of God because we are all filled with sin and wickedness and rebellion from birth? And it is only by the grace of God, the only by the grace of the God that we serve and the God of the Bible today that any of us would experience anything different from that. And because we believe that... We will rejoice on the day of Christ's return because we have experienced not what we deserve, but we have experienced favor and grace and forgiveness and mercy and eternal life and in the presence of the almighty creator of the universe through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. We have received a good deal. Speaking of good deals, I don't know how many of you took advantage of the 99-cent burrito night at Moe's and Lee Branch on Thursday night. Was anybody there? I know my family was there. And I was a little surprised that I didn't see a few more of you there. Because that was a good deal. We may have had to wait in line for a while, but when we got there, 
We didn't order our normal junior burritos. We normally order junior burritos because, you know, you get unlimited chips and salsa. And we normally order the kids meal for Kinsley, the Moo Moo Mr. Cow, I think it's called. But we ordered the home wreckers. Isn't that a good name? <laughs> Three home wreckers, one 99 cent burrito per person. And even after we, you know, splurged and ordered full soft drinks for all three of us, our bill came out to seven dollars and something, and I was happy. <laughs> but the reality is that deal does not compare in any way, shape, or form to the deal that the people of God experience, especially on the day of Christ's return, because we have experienced forgiveness and deliverance from what we deserve, and instead we receive something that none of us deserve, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sacrificed on our behalf so that we could be made right with God, so that we could be restored into right relationship with God. The wicked will experience destruction, but the people of God, the righteous, who are only righteous through the blood of Christ, by the grace of God, will experience deliverance. A truth that calls for great celebration and preparation. And so we spiritually prepare for the day in which Christ will destroy the wicked but deliver the righteous. And this brings us to verses 4 through 6 that describes that preparation process for us. Look at verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. We see in verses 4 through 6 that we must spiritually prepare for the day of the Lord. We must spiritually prepare for the day of the Lord. And throughout Malachi, we've seen, and I hope we've seen, that, that it continually speaks of this coming Messiah. It speaks to his, his first coming and his second coming. His first coming when he will lay down his life and restore the people of God into right relationship with God. And we saw that especially at the beginning of verse 3. But right here in chapter 4, it's speaking more to his second coming, his return in which the wicked will be destroyed and and the righteous will be delivered, a notion that calls for our preparation. And the first way that we prepare for for that reality, for that truth, is found in verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses. Remember the law of my servant Moses. This is referring to the word of God, the instruction of God. The instruction that God gave to Israel through Moses at Horeb or Mount Sinai, same place. This was foundational to all the word, the scripture that God would give his people. And we're called to remember that. And this is the same word, the same root word for remember that we saw last week at the end of chapter 3 and verse 16, when it said that a scroll of remembrance was written in God's presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. And if you remember right, we said that remember in the original language of the Old Testament is more than recall. 
It's more than just a thought in the back of our minds that we visit every so often. Remember includes action that is based on that remembering. This is what it means when God remembers his people, that he will act on their behalf. And when Malachi says right here, remember the law of my servant Moses, he is saying, think about it, know it, and obey it. And so we spiritually prepare for Christ's return. We spiritually prepare for the day of the Lord by remembering, by obeying, by knowing Scripture, all of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. And today as the people of God, we, we interpret and we have to learn how to interpret the Old Testament law through the lens of Jesus Christ because it points to him. Because it's a picture of him and it's fulfilled in him. And so let's be about that. Let's be about teaching and knowing and obeying and living the word of God as this church. And all that we do, lifting up God through his word, making his word central in everything that we do. And because God is a God of great compassion, he doesn't leave us alone in this spiritual preparation process. Now, we're responsible for it. We're responsible for knowing the word, for being in the word, for obeying the word. But he doesn't leave us alone to be ready. He sends us messengers. He sends us guides along the way. Look back at verse 5. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament that came and turned the people of God back to God in a time of rebellion and disobedience and drifting away from God. And similarly, John the Baptist in the New Testament was a prophet that prepared the people to hear from the coming Messiah, prepared the way for for Jesus Christ. And God tends to have sent and tends to continue to send messengers that stand in the line of Elijah and John the Baptist. And like these men, faithfully proclaim the word of God, calling people to repent before God. And some people believe that this, in verse 5, this, this Elijah that will be sent was fully fulfilled in John the Baptist's ministry. Others believe that this is a, a prophet near the end times, just before Christ returns, that will turn people back to God. But the principle is the same, that God is involved in our preparation process, that he does not leave us alone. And in his sovereign plan, he sends messengers who faithfully proclaim the word of God. And as we, as the people of God, know and obey the word of God and faithfully listen to those that are being faithful in their proclamation of the word of God, we are spiritually preparing ourselves for the day when God will destroy the wicked and deliver the righteous. And as we conclude this series on Malachi... I want you to notice the way that this short Old Testament book ends. It ends with a call to remember the law of Moses and to remember the ministry of the prophets represented by Elijah, both of which pointed to and were ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is the same idea that we see in the New Testament in Mark chapter 9 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that story? Remember when 
when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and they went up on the mountain, and Jesus was transfigured before them. And we don't know exactly what that looks like, but Scripture is clear that he, his clothes became dazzling white. And there with him appeared Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. And Peter, in his attempt to, to try to, to quickly understand what's taking place and to, to act upon it, puts Moses and Elijah on equal grounds with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this was the response, Mark chapter 9, verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to Him. In other words, Moses and Elijah, representing the Old Testament, were only there because they were pointing people to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They were only important for that reason. And our worship must center on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Biblical worship must center on Jesus Christ. He is the one that the Old Testament and the New Testament describe as the way, the truth, and the life. The way to to know and to faithfully worship God is through Jesus Christ. And there is no biblical worship today for the people of God that that does not center on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is why next week, even though we will be finished with Malachi, we're going to conclude this series on worship, remembering and celebrating the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ. But I hope as we have journeyed through this series, through Malachi and biblical worship, I hope that, that you've seen the importance of Rightly worshiping God. The importance of approaching God, the God of the Bible, in the right way. We want to, as a church, we want to know God through biblical worship. We want to know God through biblical worship. Worship that that recognizes who He is. Worship that, that gives Him the first and the best. Worship that faithfully teaches and proclaims his word, worship that influences the way that we live with others, especially those closest to us in our own families, worship that trusts God to be and to act in a way that's consistent with who he is, and worship that hopefully and joyfully anticipates the return of Jesus Christ, and all for the glory of our great God. God alone is worthy of glory, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you once again for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that that you have spoken as you desire through it, Lord, and I pray that you continually keep it on our minds and on our hearts as we seek to to learn more about what it means to faithfully worship you and to know you and and to respond rightly to who you are. Lord, I pray that you continue to guide us in our worship this morning as we conclude this service, but even as we go throughout this day. Help us to be mindful of who you are and and what that means for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.